right, good morning, church. How you doing today? Y'all alive and awake, even though it's a great day out? Made it through Christmas, yes? Made it through New Year's, all right, so it's good to see y'all. Uh, what do you think of the decor? We did a little bit of a facelift. Do you like it? Thumbs up, thumbs down? Yeah, it looks pretty nice, and uh, so it's been neat to see. I also wanted to take some time before we get into the message today, <clears throat> excuse me, to um, give you an update on something that you may have heard about Cambodia. About four weeks ago, Pastor Dad had spoke, <laughs> the other Pastor Jim had spoke and shared that there was a need uh, for uh, finances, so there could be um, clothing, so there could be foods, so there could be just being taken care of spiritually there in Cambodia. But it was kind of a desperate need, and so we put a plea out there. And I wanted to let you know, we, we told you we'd let you know what we collected. You, just you, Church of the Open Door, gave $25,645. We just say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Those of you online, uh, it's been many. The, the people here online, they had seen that and people had responded and, and had given. So thank you for responding in such a way that's going to meet a, <clears throat> a great need. So uh, again, greetings to you this morning. Those of you that are joining us online, thank you for inviting us into your homes. I know that there's many who watch online, and um, this morning I want to talk to you uh, what, what I'm going to call the sweet spot, about a rhythm that we can develop in our life. And, and really, the more I look at this, I, I really just want to, it's going to focus on joy. And here's why. Uh, how many of you have ever done a, a New Year's resolution? Anybody? How many of you have done the New Year's resolution, and then in like two months it went kaput, or quicker, Right? Because resolutions, they go up, they go down, they, they can always change. And there's nothing wrong with setting goals. It's good, it's good to do, so you can have something to aim at. But we've got to make sure we understand that. As we start off this year, I wanted to talk to you about the sweet spot. And, and the word joy just kept coming up because I tell you what, without joy, you have nothing to build upon. Yes, it starts with salvation, but as we're going to see, that joy is something that, that we must choose. And so when you came in today, you got a bulletin. There's an outline there if you want to follow along with me. We're going to look at, uh, first we're going to look at just some things that bubble up to the surface when we get to a point uh, in our life, which I'll get to in just a moment. But then we're going to look at three different ways that we can choose proactively to live from the sweet spot in our life. Psalms chapter 16, verse 11 says this. It says, you have made known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God tells us right there in the book of Psalms, God is saying that he wants you and I to have a life that's filled with joy. Uh, not, not a distasteful thing, but a joy-filled life. And it's something that is pleasurable. It's something that is right. It's something that is godly. <clears throat> and he wants that for you and for me. He says, I want you to develop this rhythm in your life. Now, I want to be very clear before I get into the message. I know that life can be trying. Can we all agree on that? It's not saying that life is going to be perfect. There are many here today that have experienced, whether it's loss or grief or anxiety, and all of a sudden a preacher gets up and starts talking about joy. And the question is, is how can you tell me to be joyful in the midst of all the bad things in this world? Now, it's true that there is bad things in this world, but the Bible told us that. In this world, you will have tribulations and trials, tests, all that. But be of good cheer because he has what? 
overcome the world, right? So if you're here today and you're going through loss, you're worrying about something, I mean, you're grieving, I mean, there's a pain in your heart. I am not not acknowledging that and saying just look over it. I'm saying would you bring that into the presence of the Lord because it's only in the presence of the Lord that you experience the fullness of His Holy Spirit, the fullness of His joy. So God tells us, He says, I've got a plan for you. And and maybe things don't always work out the way you think, but He says, this is one of the ingredients I want you to have in your life to bring balance into your life. Sometimes we almost think it's unspiritual to talk about that in church, having balance in life or joy or something. We know it's in the Bible, but it is extremely important. It is extremely critical that we get this rhythm in our life so we can learn how to swing out of the sweet spot in our life. God says this. He says, I will show you. I will show you how to do it. I will give you the path of life. I will show you the results of where the end will be. And he says, I just want you to live in my presence. I want you to be in my presence because that's where you have life. That's where you experience it to the fullness. The greatest joy I have in being married to my wife is when we get to spend time in one another's presence. Just saying I'm married to her is one thing. Sure, we have our days where there's the mountaintop experiences, but we also have our valleys just like you. But it's in the presence that we experience the fullness. God says, when you come into my presence, no matter what, where you're at on that mountaintop, he says, you will experience the presence of, of my Holy Spirit. And it will bring joy into your life. So if you're in the valley right now, I want you to know this. You might be saying, how can I ever feel joy again? You won't until you get into his presence. Not the way that, that God intended. But when you do come into his presence, he will start to heal. He will start to mend And you will experience joy. Paul says this in the book of Acts. He says that it's in him that we live and that we move and that we have our being. He says it's in the presence of God that we exist. So God is saying, I'm going to show you the pathway so that the presence of the Lord will be there for your life. But you develop a rhythm, a sweet spot, if you will. There's a baseball player who went up to the plate and he was, uh, somebody had pitched a ball at him, and it was just a screaming pitch. I'm talking hot off the griddle, fastball down the middle, and he swung, and he hit it, and it went over to left field, and it just beelined right for the fence, and it hit the back wall. He was rounding first. He made it to second. Everyone applauded and cheered, and, and they were happy about that, but when <clears throat> he came off the field, somebody said, man, you really got that. You really nailed that one. You know, you sent that sucker off into left field. That must have felt great. And he said, ah, he goes, but I, I was off by just that much. And they said, what do you mean? You were off. You got a double on the back. He said, an inch more, though, I would have been in the sweet spot. And that ball would have sailed out of this park. You see, he understood what it meant to have a rhythm. We all know what the sweet spot is. When you, if you've ever played a sport, uh, I, I, I was into tennis. I, I still love tennis. I love watching it now more than playing it. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, it's, I, I know the sweet spot. When I, when I would swing and I would hit that ball, if I hit the sweet spot, it was minimal effort required from me, but I got the maximum effect out of that swing. That's the sweet spot. And I could tell when I did not hit the sweet spot because would, I would feel it up my arm. I would feel it in my back. Baseball players understand that rhythm. When they swing that bat, they hit that sweet spot. It's like it just, bam, it just naturally takes off. Golfers, we got any golfers in the house? There's a sweet spot. No golfers. I've taken up golfing this year, by the way. 
which is challenging to find the sweet spot, and it's challenging in my Christian walk, both. Because sometimes the divots of grass go further than the ball. There are swings that I have made where I put maximum effort into it. The ball was still there on the tee, but this piece of grass was about 20 feet up there. And, and I really, I, I, I don't know, something about golf it, it's, you're working on the game, but it really challenges your Christian walk. It just really does. And uh, I went out with a, a friend of mine who was kind of teaching me. He spoke here a while ago, TJ. He came, uh, one of our, uh, he's got a missionary there, uh, heart, and was serving. And he took me out, and he just, I think he got a crack out of it because he just loved watching me kind of implode. But I couldn't find that sweet spot, but I will, all right? This spring, I'll give you an update. How's that? But there comes a point when you have just that rhythm, and you're able to hit it. Get the maximum effect out of your swing. So it is in your journey in life, in your walk with Christ. There is a rhythm that he says, a balance that you can have, where when you hit the sweet spot, it doesn't mean you have all the answers to the world. It doesn't mean you have all the answers to the questions of why did this happen. It doesn't mean that you have to understand everything that's going on under the sun. It means you come into his presence and you let the Holy Spirit work on your heart. You see, to hit a ball in the sweet spot, that's amazing. Professionals, that's what they work on. They're constantly learning to try to get that rhythm down so they can continue to just be phenomenal at what they do. It's a rhythm in their life. And it's the same kind of a rhythm that you and I, he calls us to, to have in our walk with him. We will find that in the presence of Jesus. And living out of the sweet spot of our life means that there's a balance uh, of the most important ingredients and the components in our life. Uh, so where do you find that sweet spot? What are those priority areas that need to balance out in our life? Well, I had a mentor in my life teach me about the one-year rule, okay? I'm not trying to be morbid about it, but he said, Jim, if you had one year left to live and you knew it, what would be the most important thing that bubbles to the surface? Now, there can be a number of things, but I'm going to share with you four that are very common in each and every one of our, our lives um, because this is important for us to, to look at. And, and isn't it true it, when, when fear comes in or you worry or you're anxious, all of a sudden you start thinking about God more? You know what I'm talking about? Let me put it this way. I don't like to fly, right? I think you all know that by now. I will fly, but I have to put a lot of faith in my pilots and in the mechanics who built this plane. I was the white knuckle flyer. The first time I would fly, I'm holding onto the seat like this, and I didn't dare look out the window because I thought if I looked out the window, the whole plane would tip sideways and we'd crash, you know? And uh, so <clears throat> I remember my parents doing this, and I think, I think that's why I picked it up. But every time they'd walk into a plane, my dad would always lay his hand and just kind of pause and walk in. And I'd be like, Dad, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm just praying, pleading the blood of Jesus over this plane. And I'm like, you can stay a little longer. Go ahead, you know, pray some more. You know, so I would do that. I get on a plane, I just put my hand on it. Lord, bless this plane, these pilots, take us up safely, bring us down safely. Obviously, I don't stand there for 10 minutes. This is all happening like that. You know, and one day I went in the plane and uh, I forgot to pray. Yeah. And so we're flying, and all of a sudden we hit this turbulence. And not just turbulence like it's shaking, it was turbulence like the plane went down like that, and my stomach was still up here. That kind of, you know, and it dawned on me, I didn't pray. So here I am repenting in my seat. Jesus, please forgive me. I'm so sorry I didn't pray. As if my prayer was holding that plane up. Now, I believe prayer is powerful. I believe Jesus hears my, 
here's my prayer. But isn't it true that when fear jumps in, all of a sudden, some of these other things jump up in your head. These things bubble to the surface. Well, one of the things that bubbles up is this, and you can write in your outlines, is our relationship with God. If you knew you had one year to live, typically, just statistically, you know, surveying people, one of the things they said, our relationship with God would come to the surface. It's one of the things that would bubble towards the top. Um, it would become a higher priority. And isn't it true that if we're not doing okay with God, then something's missing, right? And we can't live in the sweet spot of our life with unresolved sin in our life. And that's why all of a sudden God becomes a higher priority. We're designed, by the way, to have genuine relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. And without it, we'll never be able to truly have a rhythm in our life because that's only found in relationship with, with Jesus Christ. If you have a void in your heart, if you have a void in your life, it's a God, God-shaped void, only God can fill it. It reminded me, it was about two or three years ago, I was getting ready for a council meeting. We meet right here in this room over here, and uh, that's when I, we meet with the council and we go over notes and just you know, all that stuff you don't really care to hear about. So I'm trying to get everything ready, and about 45 minutes before the council meeting, a gentleman walks in the door. And in my head, I'm like, oh, man, I got to get this work done. And, you know, what does he want? And I said, how's it going? What can I do for you? And he started to share with me how he just felt like life was just miserable. Well, obviously, at that time, I put the notes aside, and I say, hey, sit down, let's talk. And we sat down, and he started to talk to me about what was going on in his life. And I said, do you know, why, 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 let me just ask you, why are you here? And he said, I don't even really know. I said, do you know the Lord? And he goes, well, I know who he is. I, I mean, I believe there's a God, and I believe in God. I said, but do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? See, he was searching for faith, and he said, I've got so many things going on in my life. He said, there's such a void right now in the middle of my heart. And it was at that point in time, he didn't know it, but he was missing a relationship with God. He tried to fill that void with many other things. And here's the kicker straight out of his mouth. He said, there's a void in my heart. And he said, and anytime I try to fill it with anything else, the void only gets greater. And so I, I spent some time with him. And he you know, shared his doubts, his worries, his fears. And I said, I, I completely agree with you, sir. I said, the thing is, is the void that you have can only be filled by a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that, that's, all, that's all that's going to do it. I'm not pressuring Jesus, uh, Christianity, any of that. I'm just telling you, as one beggar telling another beggar where he found some bread, I remember what it was like. And I remember trying to fill it with other things and it didn't work. The only thing that worked was this. And so we had a conversation there. And all of a sudden, something amazing took place as I was able to lead him to Christ, sitting on a couch in the middle of the church. And all of a sudden, now, now that's there. And, and he said, that's it. That's what I want. That's what I need. He said, that's the answer. And so a miracle took place before even a council meeting happened. And we will not be able to live out of the sweet spot of life unless we have a relationship with God. Now, just to clarify, I wasn't trying to make council meetings sound so bad, like, you know, oh, we got to do that. It's a joy to come together, but how many of you know it's, it's much more joy when you see somebody come to know Jesus Christ, and they have their own personal relationship. That void gets filled. You know, as Christians, we can still have void, pain, uh, grief, hurt, all of that stuff. Th those are tears. There's brokenness. 
The same God that saves and fills that void is the same God that heals your heart. But you find that healing and that wholeness in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So the relationship with God, that's one thing that bubbles to the surface. The other thing is a relationship with other people. Uh, if you knew you only had one year to live, a relationship with people, isn't it true when, when someone is coming to the end of their life, maybe they'll often say, man, I got to get things right. I got I to make things right with my mom or my dad, or I got to make sure that I've at least talked to them and <clears throat> make sure that, you know, that, thing, that things are good, a brother, a sister. You know, one of the things in this one-year rule that pops to the surface is the forgiveness that needs to be issued and received. And so we start thinking of others. We cannot live out of the sweet spot with unresolved relationships with others, just like we can't live in the sweet spot with unresolved sin. Uh, the other thing that bubbles to the surface, write these three words down, are eternal investments. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is this. If we knew we only had a year to live, we start thinking about that which we have, what God has gifted us with, and have we done anything of value with it? Have we really done the things that God has called us to do, or have we gotten comfortable? If, I, if you know you only have a year left, you go, okay, how can I start taking what I have and start investing that wisely? Am I using it for the kingdom of God? Or am I just using it for me, myself, and I? You know, we start to reevaluate the finances that God gives us. Do you steward those? Well, did you know that two-thirds of the parables in the, in the New Testament have to deal with finances? God's not looking for your money, by the way. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. And he wants to know if you're stewarding. What, are you stewarding your talents the way that God would have you uh, steward them? When it comes to treasures or any of that, Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It doesn't say where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. No, it says where your, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be as well. You know, the way that we handle that's very important. Luke 16, 11 says, if you have not been faithful with unrighteous mammon or money, how will I ever entrust to you the truly spiritual riches? God is saying, I want you to have eternal influence. I, don't wait for a one-year rule. He says, do it now. Have an eternal influence. And that's going to be determined by how you handle all of the temporal influence you have right now, the, 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 the situations in your life. How are you doing with that? Are you stewarding it well? Are you using it for the kingdom of God? Some of us have talents. Others have leadership abilities. Others have financial abilities. But did you know that of, <clears throat> that of all of these talents and treasures that God gives, there is going to come a day when we will stand before God and he will ask how we've utilized those gifts for the kingdom of God. He's going to ask us how we stewarded them. God is going to ask, how did you do on your leadership abilities? I gave you leadership. Did you use it for yourself to amass people just to you? Or did you use it to further the kingdom of God? He may say, you had financial you know, blessings in your life. Did you steward them well? Uh, did you use it for the kingdom of God or did you just use it for yourself? Someone with talents will also be accountable. They'll say, did you use your talents just for your own promotion or your, your own importance or did you utilize them to shape the kingdom of God? You see, the way we utilize our investments is extremely important. So our relationship with God, our relationship with others and uh, our eternal investments, they bubble to the surface. And the last one that I, I put down there, write this down. Taking time to enjoy life, that almost always bubbles to the surface. People start thinking, I know I only have one year to live. What haven't I done yet that I want to do? 
that I, that I still want to do. You see, at the end of their life, people often say, life went right by me. I didn't taste and see the, how good it was, right? How many of you have realized, and obviously this is going to be for us that are older in age, but the older you get, the faster time goes. Is that, is that pretty true? Um, the older you get, the faster time goes. The younger you are, it seems like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to be an adult. I can't wait to grow up and make my own decisions. Then all of a sudden, I became an adult, and guess what I do now? Man, I wish I was a kid again, right? I have <clears throat> two kids. They are 24 and 21. Did I get it right? Yes. Okay. And uh, so having a conversation with my son, oh, I don't know, it was maybe six months ago. He, he lives out in Ankeny, Iowa. How's it going, bud? You doing good? Yeah, things are great. And I said, do you enjoy living on your own? He goes, I, you know, I do. He goes, but man, he goes, I miss just being at home. And I said, so you miss us? He goes, no, I didn't say that. I miss home. I miss no bills. I miss not having to do the laundry. I miss not having to cook food just magically appears, right? Life starts to progress. It starts to change. It seems like the older you get, the faster time goes. And so what bubbles to the surface is making sure they say, did, did we take time to really enjoy life? If these four things are in balance, you begin to live out of a sweet spot in your life because, you know, we live in a world that's so unbalanced. It's so chaotic. It's so noisy. I don't know about you, but I'm a movie lover, okay? I love, <clears throat> when, I, when I'm stressed, I, I click on a movie or something, and uh, it, when I do work, I have a movie playing. It's just, I can't even really hear it, but I just want it going because I'm the kind of person that can work with noise in the background. If it's too quiet, I don't know what to do with myself, you know? But we live in a world that's full of noise. I love going to the movie theater. You know, back in the day, that's what older people say, uh, back in the day, you go to the movie theater, you buy your ticket, you hoped there was enough seats, and you go and find your seat, and everyone's running in, and you know, like, there's four of us, we've got to find four seats. You know, you don't have to do that today. No, no, you just get online, and you get to rent your own seat. Nobody else gets that seat. Can't touch it. It's my seat, right? And not only is it a seat, it's a recliner. You hit that power button, bzzz, you're like, yes, this is the life. Now, they up the price, understandably so. I mean, you got recliners, you got your own personal seat. But what irritates me the most is when I have invested in this quality time, and then some chucklehead in the movie theater decides he has to have conference meetings on his telephone. His phone is constantly blowing up. He has to answer them during the movie, and he has to talk at volume 10. I want to turn to him and tell him, in the name of Jesus. Knock it off, right? Because there's so much noise that's taking place. This world's so crazy and chaotic, it's sometimes hard to just slow down and enjoy life. People, people are mixing business with pleasure all the time. Technology is supposed to free up more time for leisure, but instead, it's blurred the lines is what it's done. Now, I'm not here to talk about technology and I'm against it and all that. I love it. I love it. But it's not made our life any easier um, I was at the chiropractor about four weeks ago, and we had a conversation about how there's a whole new line of, of things going on with uh, young people in their spines because they're doing this. That's their posture and how it affects the neck, you know? And things have changed. And we've got to be able to adapt to the change, but we also have to make sure that we develop this sweet spot, this rhythm, so that we don't become people that just get distracted by the things the world have to offer. We have a rhythm that lines up with the Word of God so that we can truly 
live life from the sweet spot. If we take this one thing, taking time to enjoy life, even just that right there, and we put balance into our life, can you see how we'd be hitting from the sweet spot? Relationships, they're so important. So I I just want to give you three simple ways how we can live life from the sweet spot. And I'm taking it right from the Word of God. I know it's kind of like, where where do you find these points in the Bible? It's not the points that are there. They are. I just kind of reword them, but I'm going to take you right there and show you what the Bible has to say. Number one, Take time to enjoy the simple things. Straight from the Word of God. He says, take time. Enjoy the simple things. You know that our life has an expiration date on it, correct? So he says, enjoy what you have while you have it. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18, he says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and to find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his or her lot. Okay, that's your lot in life. God is saying, would you just take time and enjoy life a little bit? Would you just enjoy it? I remember uh, when we were in Bible college, Lisa and I went to Christ for the Nations Institute in Dallas, Texas, also home of God's favorite football team, just throwing that out there. And uh, we were in Dallas, Texas, and um, we paid for school as we went. We didn't do the loans or anything like that. But what that meant is is when you pay as you go, that means you have to work as well. So we get up in the morning, probably around 7 o'clock. I think we had to be to school at 8. It may have been 9. I don't really remember. But we would get to school, and you'd swipe in, and there would be a worship service, and then you'd go to your classes, and then everybody would come back together for another service. And um, then at noon, you'd swipe out. And from about 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock, we had an hour window to hang out with each other. And then we had to go to work because you have to pay for school, right? So both of us had jobs in different hotels, and we would work till about 11 o'clock at night. We'd come home completely exhausted, maybe catch up for a few minutes, go to bed, get up, do it all over again. Go to bed, get up, do it all over again. I remember, I think in my memory, I remember one day out of the two years, that we had a day off together. And I remember one day that I had a day off that was just to myself. You know, we were busy just going. And so that hour between when we left class and before we went to work was so valuable to me. And I enjoyed it so much. To this day, I can think back. And it's silly stuff, but it's stuff that I enjoyed. We had one hour to cook lunch, and we we went back to our tiny apartment. Tiny, tiny, tiny apartment. You know, stretch your arms out, and you're touching both walls. Kind of an apartment. And we would whip up a lunch that was fit for a king. In other words, macaroni and cheese and hot dogs, because that's about all we could afford, right? And we would sit down and we would have a meal and we'd sit down with our friends. We had one friend who wanted to be a master chef. His name was Bob. And he says, I'm going to make macaroni and cheese today. And he added Velveeta. And he added, he added so much cheese to that, it, it was like glue. I mean, I stabbed the noodles and the whole bowl came up, you know. And, but I can think back on that and laugh about that. And I remember those memories. I remember the conversations. I remember the I Dream of Jeannie we would watch right before we went to work. I'd remember all, just all those little things because we took time to just value that time there. And we embrace that. Would you just, the Word of God says, take time to enjoy some of the little things in life? Well, Pastor, we don't have a schedule like that. Okay, you know, we don't either now. What is your schedule and where do you find time to enjoy your husband, your wife, your children, yourself, your relationship with God? Luke chapter 16, verse 10 says, he who's, very, uh, he who's faithful in the very 
It is, let me try that again. Luke chapter 16, verse 10 says, He who is faithful in very little things is faithful also in much. When you start valuing and cherishing the little things, God blesses you with more. But if we're unfaithful with the little that we have, why would he give us more? How many of you remember when the power team was here? Do you remember that? I think it was 10, 12, 15 years ago. It was more than 10, I'm sure. Anyway, we, we took them around to different schools and they would do their things, you know, smashing bricks and all that. And uh, I, had the, uh, I had the opportunity to drive them to one of the events. And I had two of the guys in the truck. One of them, their name was, his name was Russ Clear, if you remember him. Bald-headed, big dude. The guy, he, he, he had an opportunity for a six-figure income from the WWF, and he turned it down. This dude was just massive. He got in my car, and he sat in the passenger seat, and my side of the van went up. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, he's going to break my suspension. Craig Lemley was in, in the back seat, and we're driving him, and I, I took him up on the, on the dike there by the river, Okay. We were heading to school, so I thought, I'll drive you. They said, hey, the river's over here somewhere, isn't it? I said, yeah, I'll drive you by it. And to me, I was like, no skin off my nose if you want to see the river. And we drive up there, and as we're cruising by, all of a sudden, they started saying, oh, my gosh, look at how beautiful that is. Look at this. This is amazing. Slow down. Pull over for a minute. And I'm thinking in my head, you want to look at the river? It's the Mississippi River. It's dirty. It's, a, it's, just not, it's not a big deal. It's just... Who really cares about the Mississippi? But they, when they looked at it, they saw something different. They said, how cool has it got to be to have a, have a river like right in your own back door? Every day you can drive by and see this. Every day you get to look at the massiveness of the mighty Mississippi. And I was like, huh, I never thought of it that way. I thought of it like it's the Mississippi. But you see, when looked at through different eyes, they saw something else. And I was amazed. It started to make me think, what else do I have in my very own backyard that maybe I'm taking for granted? Things that maybe I should be enjoying that I haven't been enjoying, but, but, but they're, right, they're right there. Whether that's a place or whether that's a person, whether that's an event, it, making it a point to enjoy the things in life is so extremely important. There's an old rabbinic saying that, that goes this way. God will hold each of us accountable for the things he put on earth for us to enjoy but we refuse to do so. You see, even this world, nature itself, is crying out and letting you and I know of the magnificent creator that we have. You just look around and it screams that there has to be a creator. Did you, you know why it's important for us to take time to enjoy the simple things? God has some of the most prolific and most eloquent teachers in nature. They are divine, heaven-sent teachers all around us. But if we don't take time to enjoy the nature that's around us, we miss these teachers. What are you talking about, pastor, nature, teaching me, whatever? Psalms chapter 19, verse 1 says, the heavens are telling the glory of God. The heavens. Everything that you look at. Who's telling it? Well, the heavens are. What are they doing? They're teaching us about the glory of God. Look up in the sky at night. It's gorgeous. Okay, yeah, some nights it's cloudy, all right? But even the clouds are pretty cool. It's pretty amazing how that all works. The stars, they've been up there blinking and twinkling for years, just screaming about the glory of God. God created them, and they stand in allegiance to their master, the creator of the universe. And so he says, would you look up in the sky and just see the stars, the moon, the sun, the magnificence of God, and the fullness that is there? It's all around you. I remember uh, when Dre was younger, middle school, we were out camp, camping at a, at a cabin, and 
we had to come back. Her, her and I had to come back for something. I don't remember what it was. But this particular night, there was going to be a meteor shower. And I remembered it, but I kind of forgot. And we got home. She did her thing. I did mine. We had some time. And I said, oh, I said, hey, there's going to be a meteor shower. So we went outside. Sure enough, you'd see stars, just meteors, just uh, screaming by. So we got out a couple blankets, I think, or towels. Our driveway used to have this deep pitch, and we just laid them down there. We laid in the driveway, and we just watched the meteor shower take place. Now, I don't know what her memories are of that, but that's one of them that I'll never forget because I took time and not only enjoyed my daughter who was sitting there next to me, but enjoyed just watching the magnificence of God. And I remember watching that thinking, oh my gosh, how big, how amazing, how powerful. And I just started enjoying some of the simple things that were around in life. See, nature is always screaming out to you and to me. Here's what the Bible says. I'll give you a few of them. He says, look at the birds of the air. Neither do they toil, nor do they reap, nor do they gather into the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't they less in worth than you? Aren't you worth much more than they? So, you know what he's saying here? He says, if you're struggling with whether or not God is going to provide for you because your money's running out or something, God says, just go outside and look at the birds that are flying around in your yard. They'll teach you that I, I'm going to take care of you. He continues, and he says, why are you so anxious about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field. They don't toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, even Solomon, in all of his glorious array, was never clothed as splendidly as the lilies of the field. Are you struggling with whether or not, you know, you'll have provisions in life? God says, go outside. Look at the lilies of the field. They'll teach you about how God provides. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. He says, if you want to know about God's faithfulness, open your back door and look at your lawn. He says, look at the grass, the dandelions, the wildflowers. See how beautifully they come up and then they're gone the next day. God has done that day after day after day. His faithfulness abides day after day and he will never change. He sets that all into motion. Psalms 98 verse 8 says, let the rivers clap their hands and let the mountains sing together for joy. God says, I will teach you about praise. The reason sometimes, at least me, I may be spiritually challenged is because I don't take time to listen to the prolific, eloquent teachers that God has placed around me. Sometimes I, I just get so busy trying to do the work. I, I get so busy doing that I forget to just be and look at the simple things that God has given. The teachers are everywhere around us. If you'll take time, they will teach you. And God says, then you will understand my faithfulness. There's times when God, I've been stressed out and all that. And how are we going to make it? And what are we going to do? And God will show up and he'll say, Jim, look at what you've got already. How do you think you got here? And I'm like, by the skin of my teeth. And he's like, no, by the grace of your God. He says, I got you. I'll take care of this. But you, you lean into me. And not only in nature, though, does God teach us these things. God says, uh, I'll teach you in your play. How many of you know God approves of play? Did you know that? God approves of us having fun. He approves of play. He approves of laughter. When's the last time you laugh? No, I'm not just talking about the nervous. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about belly laugh, something tickled you. You, got, you, got, you know, got a kick out of something and it just made you laugh. 
you know, and you're able to enjoy that with your family or you're able to enjoy that with yourself. God approves of play. Psalms 126 verse 2 says, Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Uh, then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. The Lord, it says, has filled our mouths with laughter and we are glad. God is the one that fills our mouth. Did you know it's okay he, he wants to fill our life with joy. He wants us to experience what it means to have that laughter once again. He approves of play, which is why number two, write this down, that you and I must live closer to the edge of laughter. Live closer to the edge of laughter. Some of us, you know, some of us live light years away from the edge of laughter, we need a court gesture jumping up and down in order to make us, you know, laugh. We need somebody telling world-class jokes if we're going to laugh. But did you know that God says, no, no, he says, I want my joy to fill your life in such a way that you can learn to laugh again. And you know what I mean. You can laugh with your family, not at them. Sometimes you do that too, though. You can learn to laugh at yourself. Because life is not going to be perfect, and when things happen, you just go, man, what was I thinking? That was such a boneheaded thing. You know what? It's all right. It's all good, because the joy of the Lord is my strength. He says, live closer to the edge of laughter. God has designed us to laugh. Did you know that? He didn't design us to be sourpusses, you know, crinkled up, grouchy all day. He's designed us to laugh. Here's some statistics of, of, uh, from um, a medical thing I found and this is just on average, children by four months old laugh once every hour. They laugh once every hour at four months old because that's the way they're created. They don't even understand English yet, and they're giggling. They pass gas, and they get a kick out of it, right? You guys still do that too, I'm sure. They just laugh, and they're not even very old. Four months old. They laugh for no reason because it's intrinsically entwined in their fabric. By four years old, they laugh once every four minutes. This is why you can see them playing and hanging out all the time, and they just start laughing, and you're like, what's up with them? You know, they're just laughing. It's woven into them. The problem is, is it goes south from there. As people get older, adolescents, teenagers, laugh once every two hours on average about something. It could be anything. You know, something they thought of in their head or they saw somebody do something silly. But by the time you're 20, you laugh once every four hours. And by the time you're an adult, on average, you laugh once every seven days. It's a long time. Because life is so serious. We got to make a buck. We got to pay the bills. Now, I know it changes with each person. I know some people are laughing all the time. But this is just on average. Proverbs 17.22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Here's what it says in another translation. This is out of the message translation. Read that one with me at the bottom. You ready? Go. A cheerful disposition is good for your health. Gloom and doom leave you bone tired. You know how many times I've heard people say, I am just dead dog tired. I am just wore out. I want to go to them and say, when's the last time you laughed? But of course, they'd be like, what are you talking about? Yeah, what I mean is, is, is the joy of the Lord your strength? And when the joy of the Lord your strength, it doesn't mean that you're always laughing. It doesn't mean that everything's always perfect. It means that as you go through the imperfect moments, you learn 
to laugh at some things. The Bible says that a cheerful disposition is good for your health. Kids laugh more. If you want to get younger, laugh more. Laughter will make you younger, even younger than your oil of old age you want to put on your face or whatever. It says laughter brings that back. It's so important for us to allow, to allow God to fill our mouths and our hearts with laughter, with joyful singing, the Bible says. If you live closer to the edge of laughter, then even a child's funny comment can bring a breath of fresh air to you and you laugh. Even a blunder of a coworker can bring laughter to you when the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's okay because you're going to face blunder after blunder in your life. It's gonna, it's gonna happen. But here's something important to catch. If you live far from the edge of laughter, then you live closer to a critical spirit. If you live far from the edge of laughter, all you're left with is criticism over here. That should be motivation enough to want to come back and to get into that rhythm and into that sweet spot. Let God fill your mouth with laughter and your tongue with joyful singing. And then, number three, write this down, then guard your joy. Guard your joy. Why well, have to guard my joy? Because the enemy is going to try to steal it. You're going to try to take it. The joy that God places within you is so incredibly important. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Don't let the devil steal your joy. Some of this will be a recap for some of you, but I wasn't always pleasant like I am right now, okay? You know, I grew up in a Christian home. Mom and dad were pastors. I had to go to church all the time. But Christianity to me was about my mom and dad's job. Christianity, a relationship with God, was about my dad and my mom, and I had to go. That's not a relationship. That's, you know, a religion thing. And I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. I did for a while from the ages of like 14 to 16. But then at the age of 16, I got a driver's license and found out girls are very pretty. And I decided to chase after them. And I found out, you know, the things I wanted to do didn't line up with what God wanted to do. So God went to the back burner because it's all about me, right? And I lived that way for a number of years. I'd love to tell you that Lisa and I, when we got married, were just perfect. Sometimes people make this mistake and they say, well, it must be easy for you. You know, you guys are pastors and your grandfather claws into heaven. And when you fight, just lovely words come out of your mouth. And, you know, you know your worst day is, is like a day in heaven. And that's not true. We're normal, just like you. Some days, not many, but some days I annoy her. Hardly ever, but some days. I might be doing it right now. I don't know. <laughs> and some days she can annoy me, but I love her. And she loves me. It's relationship. It's in the presence that, that, that we experience this relationship. But you see, when we met, we weren't Christians, neither of us. We both grew up in Christian homes, but we both, we both wanted to pursue what we wanted for our life. And I said, you know what? I think I'll marry Lisa because then she'll make my life better. Now, we didn't say this to one another, but it's the unspoken thing. You know what I'm talking about? And in some way, she said, you know what? I'm going to marry Jim, and he'll make my life better. How many of you know that's two trains heading very fast at one another? Boom, it's going to blow up. And it got derailed. And we had our challenges in our relationship. Uh, a lot of mistakes, a lot of, a lot of tears, and we had to work through a lot of that. But here's the important thing. I had the joy of the Lord back there at 14 and 15, but I chose to walk away from it. Now I'm 23 or 24 or something like that. I don't know how old I was, but I was working by day and going to Hamilton Technical School by night. So I'd have to drive to Davenport every day. 
And I got to this place where I was wrestling with God. I knew what I needed to do. I knew it was the right thing. I knew the way I was living wasn't right. And I, I just kept having that tugging from the Holy Spirit on my heart. You know how he does that? He doesn't push you. He doesn't shove you. He just goes, <clears throat> I'm here. I'm still here. I'm still here. And I remember driving home down Highway 61, and I came to the point where I knew what I needed to do. And here's how I knew it. When you're coming from Davenport back to Clinton, and you see that sign on Highway 61, that big green sign that says, uh, Clinton De DeWitt Highway 30 exit one mile, it was right there where I, I made the decision to rededicate my life back to Christ. Because I thought, I can't do this anymore. Every time I see that sign, it serves as almost a, 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 just a reminder of the faithfulness of God. And there was a song that was going through my heart, and it was from uh, Psalms chapter 50. It's an old, older song, but you guys remember the song, Creating Me a Clean Heart, O God, and Renew a Right Spirit Within Me. Remember that one? And it says, Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the, and in my car I was stuck, restore unto me, restore unto me the something of my salvation. I'm like, what the heck? And stuff like that bothers me, okay? I'm like, I want to know what that, that is. And I'm like, I, I think the Lord knew that it bother, would bother me. And, and, uh, and I just heard the Lord say to me, I hadn't heard the Lord in a long time. He was speaking, I just wasn't listening. But I finally asked him, Lord, I, just, I, I know I need to make this right. I, I gave my heart to the Lord. That song popped in my heart. Restore unto me the... And he said, Jim, the word that you cannot think of is the exact thing that's missing in your life. So, of course, now when I went home, I had to go find my Bible, blow the dust off of it, search where that was because I didn't know at the time. And it was right there. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And that's what was missing. I was missing the joy of my salvation. Why do I tell you to guard your joy? Because when the joy of the Lord is your strength, the devil knows this. He knows that he cannot steal your salvation, but what he will do is steal the joy of your salvation. Because if he can steal the joy of your salvation, then you'll do nothing with the salvation that you have. He will try to steal. He does not have the authority to steal your marriage, but he will try to steal the joy of your marriage. He doesn't have the authority to steal your family. He will try to steal the joy of what's going on in the midst of all of that. So when I learned that, it, I, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I learned I had to protect that. I had to guard that. How many of you know, and if you don't, you will now, joy is a choice. Amen? Amen. It's a choice. You have to choose it. I'm going to wait until I'm joyful. And when I'm joyful, then I'll be fine. You can be waiting a long time. Because what you mean is, is I want to be happy. People use that for, I want to be happy. I just want to be happy in life. Me too. But until that comes, you've got to choose joy. And then you have to guard it. Happiness is a result of external circumstances that are going on around here. If you want to give me a hundred bucks today, that will make me happy. If you want to take a hundred bucks from me, that will not make me happy. External. But joy says, no matter what I'm going through, the pain that I'm feeling, the brokenness that I'm experiencing, I am choosing joy because I know it's in the presence of the Lord. That fullness of joy will heal my heart once again. It will, it will fix the brokenness because I know that God is near those who are what? Brokenhearted. If you're here today and you are broken, draw near to him. And the joy of the Lord, not the ha ha joy, but the joy, it heals. It encourages. It meant, so you will laugh once again. 
If you're here today and you feel like that's broken, you can laugh once again when the joy of the Lord is your strength. But you've got to guard that joy. The salvation that God gives you and me, it's not based on what you do. It's based on what he's done. It's already done. You don't have to perform. You don't have to purchase it. And the devil knows that he can't steal it. So he'll just try to take your joy. If you're here today and you've been playing this song over and over in your heart, just these sad songs, maybe we've got to change the tune. Psalms 51 is the verse I referred to earlier. It says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is my what? Strength. How many of you here want some strength today? Pastor, I'll take some of that. Well, it doesn't come from me. It comes from him. And he says, and you find that in joy, joy of the Lord. So guard your joy. Because the enemy is going to do everything he can to try to steal that from you. Now, how do you, how do you get it so that your, I don't know how to say this the right way, so that your insides are better? You know what I mean? Your soul, your mind, your emotions, your feelings, your thoughts, all of that. Well, check this out. In Colossians chapter 3, he said, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What is God saying there? He says, make sure that you're playing the right tune inside of your heart, inside of your life. He says, and if it's not the right tune, change it. How many of you know that songs are very powerful? You listen to a song. Have you ever listened to a song and it can take you right back? to like your teenage years, you know, all of a sudden Chicago comes, you know, you're the meaning in my life. You're the inspiration. Now some girls right now are going, oh, I remember that. They're back in high school with their old boyfriend. Guys, don't worry. It's, you know. They have power. They can influence you in, in ways like that. And, and the question is, is what tune is going on in the inside of your heart? When I was a kid growing up in the 70s, my mom loved music. I got my love of music from my mom. I can quote to you probably the whole album of Kenny Rogers, okay, The Gambler. I, can, I got half of Alabama's Roll On album, you know, because it was, it was being played. And, 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 I, and I, I, there's just so many songs that would, would, would be going on that I, I always remember. Barry Manilow. I mean, I, can, I know all those songs because they were playing, and when I hear them, it takes me back to being a child once again. But I ask again, what's the song that's going on on the inside of your heart? One of the groups when I was a kid was called the Carpenters. Remember a song from them? Rainy days and Mondays always get me down. It's such a depressing song, but it was a number one hit. Is that the song that's going on inside of your hearts? It's going on inside of your mind? And it seems like it's always being played over and over and over again. They had a song called Seasons in the Sun. Goodbye to you, my trusted friend. <laughs> Great song, but is that the tune of your life? Because if it is, you need to change the tune in your life. Maybe you need to get a little Louis Armstrong going on. And I think to myself, you know the rest? What a wonderful world. You guys are good. You got this. Maybe you need to put on, it's a beautiful morning. I don't know what you need to change the tune to. Maybe you need a little bit of journey. Don't stop. Believe. Okay, I can see the journey fans now. And yes, I just quoted journey in a sermon. I don't know how I pulled that off, but maybe you need to sing a little bit of don't worry, be happy. I don't know what it means on the inside, but it's about being in the presence of the Lord because that's where you find your fullness of joy and you let him change the tune of your heart. It's a willing spirit. 
and you let God's word begin to write the song on the inside. You let him begin to show you who he says you are. Not what everyone else has said. Not even what you say, but what he says. And when you do that, you'll start swinging out of that sweet spot. You'll start having a rhythm that will help you to succeed in life. And when that happens, you'll find that indeed God has designed you to live life from the sweet spot. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I thank you today that you love us so much that you have placed within our very, the very fabric of our being the, the desire, the, the need for laughter and joy. Lord, we declare today not trying to elicit something or you know, kind of jumpstart something in our life like we're trying to just feel happy. We declare today the word of the Lord that says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so the Lord, for those that are here today and they are weak, in the weaknesses, you show yourself strong. And I pray that you would flood their hearts with a joy that even in the midst of the brokenness and in, in the, the, the worries and in the losses, that you will fill their hearts and that you will heal their hearts. Lord, I pray that you would take us to that place of laughter once again. Uh, not a nervous laughter, not a laughter that we have to conjure up or make happen, but a laughter that comes from deep within inside because we know that greater is he that's within us than anything else in this world. And we receive that today in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. If you will be joining us for the 21 days of prayer and fasting, it's all online. You can sign up online. But if you want a, an actual paper booklet, there's a few more of them left at this information center that's behind me in this building over here. So if you want to follow along, you can do it online. You can do it on your phones. But if you want a paper one, we have a few more of those left. And Today, I'm going to have you stand, and instead of doing our normal closing prayer, because you know we try to do a new closing prayer every year, a new declaration over ourselves, but we thought since this was our first Sunday to be with you, rather than you, than all of us doing the closing prayer, we want to speak the Levitical blessing from Numbers over you, and this is our prayer for you this year. So will you receive this as we do this together? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Have a great week.